0: If you have your Bible, turn with me to the, this morning to the book of Romans, chapter 9. Romans, chapter 9. We're we'll going to be talking about biblical patriotism this morning. Uh, and, and I want to talk a little bit before we dive into this about the uniqueness of this holiday on this 4th of July, this Independence Day. There's a lot of exciting things that go on around different holidays, but there's something unique about the 4th of July. If, if you notice, this particular holiday is one of the few holidays, there's several, but this one particularly is one of the few holidays that every American seems to celebrate in a similar way fashion. But we all do the same things on the 4th of July, pretty much. We eat food, and we set off fireworks, right? That's how we celebrate the 4th of July. Thanksgiving, you may have different sides, you may have different traditions. Christmas, there's actually, in our nation, a ton of different holidays around the Christmas season. Not everybody celebrates a Christian Christmas. You've got things like Valentine's Day, and there are people who hate it because of bitterness, and you've got All of these different celebrations that we can have throughout the year. But 4th of July, when it comes, we dress in three colors and three colors only. We eat a ton of food and we make things explode. Every American expresses the 4th of July in the same way. Can we celebrate something that unites us this morning? In a culture divided, this holiday brings us together. Amen. Yeah, you can clap. That's okay. (laughs) Jim Gaffigan puts it this way, he's a comedian, and he says, I, I usually don't have a burger, a brat, and a steak, but it's the 4th of July, and I need the energy if I'm going to start blowing stuff up. It's what the founding fathers would have wanted, right? This is where we're at today, right? We're united in this celebration, but why do we celebrate You know, churches all over the the nation this morning have got flags, much like we have decorated with, are celebrating a patriotic holiday, and and they're, they're celebrating the 245th birthday of our nation. The signing of the Declaration of Independence 245 years ago. And for many churches, there's a danger to make that the focus of their worship. And so this morning, we want to talk about how important it is that we honor our nation and we do it in a biblical way. There's a French writer named Alexis de Tocqueville. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, but take my word for it. That's the correct pronunciation. He was visiting America in 1831, and this is what he, he writes. He says, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her... Fertile fields and her boundless forests, and it wasn't there. I sought for it in her rich mines, her vast world commerce, her public school system, and in her institutions of higher learning, and it was not there. I looked for it in her democratic Congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. It was not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness that I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. The secret of the founding and the endurance of our nation is not in our resources, in our government or in our societies it's in our faith it's in what we were founded in and what we still hold to john adams talks about the 4th of july in this way he says july 4th ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn that means only by the solemn acts of devotion to an almighty god it's a celebration of acts done in worship July 4th is a celebration because God has given us freedom. We ought to be proud to celebrate this holiday, but not because of what our nation has done, or our culture has, or our resources are, but because God is good to us. And so this morning, I want to read in Romans chapter 9 about having patriotism in a biblical way. Now, Romans 9 does not speak to the United States of America. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you realize this or not, but there is not a single page in the Bible that speaks about the United States of America. Now, you can read it from cover to cover, and you can do a Google search or get out your best concordances and and try to find the United States of America in Scripture, and I promise you it's not there. Something that's been very apparent to me very early on in my study of Scripture, in my study of history, is that every single empire and nation, no matter how strong they are, no matter how long they last, eventually falls. Every single one. And yet, the Word of God always stays the same. So this morning, this this passage is not insert the United States of America here. Instead, it's an example of one man who looked at a love for his people, looked at a love for his his nation and those who are a part of his, his heritage and his national identity, looked at his love, and I would even call it patriotism and attitude towards his common kinfolk. And it's an example of how we, too, are to have a similar patriotic biblical attitude. Romans chapter 9 is talking about the people of Israel. Do not insert the United States there. Instead, look at the example of Paul as he reflects on his love for the people. Look at me in Romans 9, starting in verse 1. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. To them belong the, the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. The truth is, Romans 9 is not a patriotic passage. But Romans 9 shows us a patriotic attitude. So Paul is writing about his kinsfolk, his people, the nation of Israel, and he says he's heartbroken and in anguish. Why? Because they're not following in salvation through Jesus Christ, and it breaks his heart. He says, I wish that I myself could be cut off for their sake, that they would believe in the gospel. I would do anything that my people, my nation would love the Lord. And he goes on to remind us of the promises that were given to his nation in particular, not to America or any other country in the history of the world, but to Israel and the people of Israel specifically. Promises of deliverance and protection and salvation and blessing and, and a numerous nation and, and the law in the Old Testament given to a set group of people and God, God had promised that he would be faithful to these people and now they're falling away and Paul is heartbroken because everything that Paul had read in the Old Testament pointed to God's faithfulness to Israel and Israel was not being faithful to God. So he asks the question, is God's word wrong? Did God miss it here? Did he strike out when he chose the nation of Israel? What, what happened? And of course, he, he quickly comes back and says, that's not the case at all. God's word is always faithful. And he goes on to explain that not everybody who is descendant from Abraham and is a national Jew is really grafted into the family of God. That's the theme of Romans in a nutshell. But when you look at Paul's heart for his people, he's crushed and he's broken. And I think his patriotism for the nation of Israel shines through. What is biblical patriotism? According to this attitude we see reflected in Paul, first, I think what we see is he cares more for people than provinces. He cares more for people than provinces. This emphasis is not on the land of Israel. By the way, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of emphasis on the land of Israel, the specific place, Jerusalem in and of itself. Even today, there are specific promises about land to the nation of Israel that still God holds true and is faithful to. But Paul's concern here is not even about the land. There's something bigger than the city of Jerusalem. Paul's brokenheartedness is over the people. Too often we get so territorial, not just in Scripture, but in the United States of America. I'm a proud Floridian. I grew up in Florida, and I love the state of Florida in a lot of ways. I also spent a lot of time in Kentucky my whole family is from Kentucky and if you know me well you know that I'd rather call Kentucky home even than Florida I've spent time living in Indiana North Carolina a brief summer in Chattanooga Tennessee I've lived in several different states many of you all have been many different places and what I've recognized is each state each state has a reason why they think they're great Recently, we were reading through a magazine at Clinton Mickey's house. It was uh, the, the greatest desserts in each state. And you started reading different states, like uh, the state of Ohio was the Buckeye. Well, that makes sense. Or the state of Florida. I guessed it. You probably know what it is. It's my favorite dessert. It's the key lime pie, you know. And we're looking at all of these different states. In Georgia, it's peach cobbler. And then we get to Illinois. Do you want to know what the best dessert in Illinois is? chocolate-covered strawberries. (laughs) They ran out of desserts, I guess, and just gave us one, you know? There's no sense of pride in chocolate-covered strawberries. By the way, after the sermon, if you can tell me what the best dessert in Illinois is, I'd like to try it. I don't even know what it is. We we have a sense of pride in our states. We're proud of this, or we're proud of that. I have to laugh because I've lived in Kentucky, I've lived in Indiana, and I live in Illinois. You know what all three states have in common? They all claim Abraham Lincoln in some way. Every single one of them. Kentucky, that's where he was born. Indiana, that's where he grew up. Illinois, it's the land of Lincoln. That's where he got his government start. Where does Abraham Lincoln belong in? We're fighting over who gets Abraham Lincoln, right? We're territorial people by nature. And what we see, Paul's attitude is not about a land or a territory. He cares about the individuals living in the land or scattered from the land. He cares about the the people, not the province. That's why he says in verses 1 through 3, he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. He's got to preface it this way to go, I know you guys are concerned with other things, but listen to what my heart is broken over. I'm not lying, and my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And as he builds us up, we go, okay, Paul, what do you really hurt about? And in verse 3, he says, I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. Why? For the sake of my brothers and my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul says, you know what really causes me sorrow and anguish? Is that my brothers, my sisters, my nation, my family, they're lost you can have your land. Paul even goes as far as to say, if I were able to, I would give up my own salvation. Don't miss the statement from Paul. By the way, I've never said what Paul has said here. And this is, this is him really laying it out. I wish that I were accursed, that is eternally condemned, and he says, cut off from Christ, that's without salvation and in eternity in hell. I wish that I had that to trade For the kinsmen's salvation, for my nation's salvation, for my people's salvation. Paul's literally putting himself in the place of Christ. If I could do what Christ did for my my people, I would do it. If I could give my life for theirs, I would do it. The heart he has for the nation of Israel, the people of his country, far outweighs the heart he has for any land, for any territory, for any province, for any place. This passage is not about the United States of America, but this attitude still rings true for us. I hope you're proud to live in the location that you live, in the nation that you live in, the state, the city, the county. I hope you have a pride of your local town. But I hope you care more about the people living in that town than you do the city of that town. I hope what breaks your heart is lost people who need Christ Paul says, what is biblical patriotism? Paul's example is that it cares for people more than provinces. It cares about individuals and souls. But secondly, we see Paul's attitude that he cares more for the kingdom than he does for the country. He cares more for the the mission and the kingdom of God than he does the mission and the country that he lives in. That's why he goes on to say in verse 8, He clarifies what makes his people and his nation, and it's not their nationality. This means that it's not the children of the flesh, that is, the people descendant from Abraham who are children of God, but it's the children of the promise that are counted as offspring. Paul says what's important is not where you live or what country you're in. What's important is, are you aligning yourself with the kingdom of God? Are you doing the things that God would call you? To do. The founding of our nation was founded on principles that put the kingdom of God first. In 1776, when those men signed the Declaration of Independence, the vast majority of them were believers themselves, and the ones that weren't still were following biblical principles. The work of the kingdom of God is what made our nation special. And so we, we understand that in 1776, the most important thing was, how can we worship freely? How can we set up churches that can evangelize people around us? How can we reach the lost and do the kingdom work? And how can we structure our government in a way that allows us the most freedom to do that? That was the priority. I wonder now what our priority is in the United States of America. Certainly when we think of our our federal and national government, maybe even our state government, and sometimes our local government, the priority is is now how we structure things for the betterment of the most people and the most success of a nation. We make decisions not based on whether they're God-honoring. We make decisions based on whether we think it will strengthen the right group, the right people. We care far more now about the nation and the country than we do the kingdom of God. And I will say that's not just in government, that often infiltrates Christians in our churches. I've gotta say, I don't I've talked to some of you about this before, not not many of you, but There's a reason why I don't bring the large American flag and the large Christian flag and put them up on the stage. And some people have asked me about that. Why don't we, from time to time, we have them in the children's area. I think they're wonderful symbols, and we should. My problem is I've come from churches, several different churches, who would put them on stage before they would put a cross on stage. And have them on stage and and celebrate those before they would even Lord's Supper or communion. There was an emphasis on the nation over the mission. And I I found out really early on in my ministry that there are a lot of well-meaning people who love our country and should, but they love it more than they love God. And that's a danger. Will we have flags and celebrate? Absolutely. Will we celebrate and honor our nation? If we don't, I think we're missing what Paul is saying here. We will care and love for our nation, but we will care first. For the faithfulness to the kingdom of God, above all else. Paul's attitude was, I'm brokenhearted for the people of my nation, but God has a bigger plan in his kingdom. Not everybody in my nation is submitting themselves to the promise, but God is grafting people in. There's a mission greater than the country. And Paul cared for the kingdom more than he did the country. Thirdly, what is biblical patriotism? What is Paul's attitude in the book of Romans? I think we find that Paul cares more for the timeless than the temporary. He cares for the timeless more than the temporary. Chapter 9 is really kind of a turning point in the book of Romans. It's kind of a hard one to read and understand. I specifically stopped at verse 8. Your homework is to go on and read the rest of chapter 9, and then write me a letter with a lot of questions, because there will be a lot. It's a hard, difficult chapter to process. I stopped there. For time's sake, we don't have time to delve into it. Paul has been building a case up until chapter 9. And in chapters 1 through 8, what he's telling us is, is how sinful of a people you and I are how broken we are and how much in need of a savior. And he has this big emphatic moment when he says, but God, who is rich in mercy, has saved us. He has this this emphatic moment where we say, all of us are sinners, but God saved us. And in chapter 8 particularly, he starts talking about, about our eternal reward in that salvation. How we have an eternal promise and an eternal glory. And so in chapter 8, Paul has just written, in chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings, those sufferings right there, I consider that the sufferings, the problems, the struggles of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. You know, sometimes pastor's kids become sermon illustrations in the middle of a sermon, Life is hard and difficult for all people. Sometimes it's in parenting. Sometimes it's in a a job or a vocation. Sometimes it's in relationships. Sometimes it's in tragedy and seasons of life. And the temptation is to focus on the things and the here and the now. To focus on whether or not we can make ourselves better in the moment. But Paul reminds us that our focus is not on the temporary. It's not on the here and the now. It's on the eternal. It's on the next life. As we celebrate the 4th of July, we're reminded that we have a a nation to celebrate. but We have a nation that's hurting and broken. We have a a country that is is divided in so many different ways. We have a nation that that can't decide whether they're going to wear red or blue during an election year. We have states that are are banning travel to other states. We have have a country that is is brokenhearted over the actions of the other extreme side. And we see a nation, quite honestly, that if we were sucked out of a vacuum and didn't know the history and just dropped down into, we would think it was on the verge of a collapse. This Fourth of July, we don't celebrate the United States of America because of its strength here and now. We celebrate the gift of freedom that God has given us that is eternal, that supersedes our nation. Paul says the sufferings we're going through, the hurt and the pain that we experience now as a nation, as a people, or as individuals, as believers in Christ, it is not worth comparing to the glory that's coming. The struggle and the pain has an end. Biblical patriotism says, I love my country even when it's divided because God is bigger than the moment. It cares for timeless more than temporary. So, this morning, as we think about ways that we celebrate the Fourth of July, we're reminded of several things. We're reminded that it is important to recognize the strength of our nation, and we should in our everyday lives, and even from the pulpit this morning, we should give praise and thanks to God who has blessed us to live in such a strong and faithful, fruitful country. But we remember that it is not ultimately what we put our faith and allegiance in. We follow our country, but we serve our God. We we honor our nation, but we worship our God. This morning, I hope and pray that as we celebrate the 4th of July, it would be a a celebration of worship to a God who has given us so much more than a nation ever could. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Father, forgive us where we focus on the temporary, where we put all of our efforts into honoring a country. Lord, where we get territorial and focus on a province. Lord, let us be brokenhearted over the people who need you. Let us be mindful to follow your kingdom and allegiance to your kingdom. Father, we ask that you would give us a perspective to to view things in eternity and the timelessness over the temporary. Father, we worship you this morning for being a good God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.